Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa, writer for Last Word on Sports, and also the Hockey Writers Islanders contributor over at thehockeywriters.com. Chris, good day to you, sir. We've got a lot to cover and a little bit of time to get to it. Absolutely. Let's let's jump right in it because uh, we got three big guests on this show. Yep. Segment one, me and you, and then after that, we have David Tolls in segment two talk about the Hawks and Matt Pryor in segment three talk about the Priors and uh, Priors, Panthers and the Stars and JD Styles wraps it up in segment four talk about the Kings all the different deals so uh, uh, so where do you want to start Mark segment one you want to start with Eric Stoll yeah well, well let's go into some of the trades that we're not going to talk about later on in the show and I guess the biggest piece in that puzzle is Eric Stahl does get moved at the deadline to the New York Rangers um, they, I don't know if the analysts what, um, or I misheard or what, but they said they were going to move him, play a little wing, play a little center. I kind of watched the first game, and he was definitely playing center and uh, looked really good for the Rangers. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Eric Stoll, is he the impact player he was four or five years ago? Uh, no, but he is a, a very good player. Um, with, you know, leadership, with experience. And, look, the teams are so close throughout the NHL, you know, other than the top couple. Um, you put anyone in the series, it's it's, uh, it's a flip of a coin. So adding another good player, uh, granted it came at uh, a pretty good expense. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much into detail, but they gave up a pretty good kid, from my understanding, and the prospect in the deal, and two second-round picks. So now in the next two years, the Rangers only have one pick, in the first two rounds, and they have a very thin farm system. So, but their window is now, and I'm sure how they viewed it. And you know, we'll we'll see how we'll see how the puck bounces come. I don't. I think this is a pure rental for them. I don't see how they can. He'll be able to resign there with their cap situation. That was going to be my question. Do you think they'll move some pieces there at the draft in order to make cap room and keep him on? And does that depend? If they on do, they're they going to have to move someone like a Chris Kreider kind of situation. Um, you know, but like I said, I mean, their focus is the here and now. Uh, the Rangers are in a time and place where it's about winning cups. Um, they've come very close uh, the last few years, obviously losing to Tampa last year um, in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, losing to the Kings in the Cup Finals. Before that, losing to the Devils in the Eastern Conference Finals, so just in the last few years. Um, and Henrik Lundqvist, as we are doing this podcast, uh, turns 34 today, so uh, you have to wonder how many how many elite years does he have left, especially with the amount of games log. So it's about the here and now for them, and um, we'll see. I mean, I would say clearly Washington's the team to beat in the East, and I would say Tampa's probably second. So I think the Rangers after that, um, but they'll be in the mix. I mean, they'll be a team. They'll be a threat. So you you right now you'd put the Rangers as maybe your third favorite going into the playoffs if things stay the same the way they are. I think you would simply out of respect in terms of the goaltending and the level play Lundqvist gives you and the the experience factor. But having said that, if if you told me that the Rangers were going to play the Bruins in a seven game series, I would say, well, buckle up, it's going to be uh, it's going to go seven. And I might like this. I might like the Rangers a little bit more, or depending upon who has home ice, um, you know. Or you know, if we get a Ranger Islander first round series, same kind of thing. So um, I, I, I firmly believe, outside of really Washington being in a series, uh, for most of the teams in the East, I really do feel like it would be a flip of a coin, uh, no matter how the matchups came came to be. 
So you mentioned Boston. They they did. Uh, <coughs> oh, excuse me. The uh, they did acquire Lee Stepniak at the at the deadline, who I really like, and he had he had a solid playoffs last year. I think I think he kind of fits in pretty well. That might be one of the moves under the radar that actually actually might uh, pay some dividends for the Bruins. What do you think? Absolutely, uh, the good support depth deal. I believe, of course, was a third-round pick, so you're not mortgaging the future. They picked up someone else from Carolina. There were so many of those little deals that's escaping me now. Um, I forget who it was now, but they added a couple of support players. Uh, they didn't trade Bowie Erickson, which is the smart move. I think the Bruins' philosophy was basically, unless someone gives us, you know, a, a huge package for Erickson, which no one was going to do for Renault. They want to keep them, and they had to keep them. I mean, they're right in the, like I said, they're right in the mix of things. So um, it would have been a shame on them if they would have traded, even if they got a great future package for Louis Erickson. They, they made those deals in the offseason. They got plenty to fill the cupboard up between the Milan Lucic deal and um, the Dougie Hamilton deal. So, And they have two first-round picks in this draft. So um, they're well-heeled going, going forward. Yeah, their best move might have been not trading Louis Erickson. Um, Absolutely. You know, sometimes addition by subtraction isn't the way to go. So that, uh, I mean, he is the second leading scorer on that club. And and when we had uh, the Boston contributor on, uh, the one thing you don't think about with the Bruins is their power play. And they've been top five power play all year long. And a lot of that has to do with Louis Erickson being on the club. So... Probably, probably. I, I agree with you 100% that keeping him around, even if you lose him at the end of the year, um, get, get, going to get into the playoffs, and I think if, uh, you know, goalies get hot, they you can ride that hot hand in the style they play. I don't think anybody's going to get away from the Bruins in the playoffs. I don't look anybody to be a short series going up against them and adding a, adding a Lee Stempniak as uh, just thickens up thickens up the backside there a little bit um i like i actually like that trade a lot um so i did uh, really like the, i really did really like what the ducks did i, th- I felt like picking up uh jb mcginn and brandon prairie uh again yeah, two guys they're not they're not superstars by any means but one of the things that uh probably one of the biggest weakness about the ducks is their secondary scoring so they they added a couple sure. of players I mean, Prairie's currently hurt but he's supposed to be back before the end of the regular season. And those two guys can help them in terms of secondary scoring. And all they gave up was a third-round pick and a sixth-round pick. So uh, they didn't mortgage the future to, to, to get those guys. So I thought Eric Stoll would have been a good fit for them. But um, I think when you look at, in terms of value, they did very well. Uh, again, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a very sexy trade, but I, I think they can be effective ones. Yeah, I agree. They, that is the the caveat when, the, I mean, they, their scoring has definitely picked up lately. Their last seven games, I think, they're averaging about five and a half goals a game. Um, they blasted four in against the Kings on Sunday, too. So um, that's a hard team to score goals against. Corey Perry with a hat trick there. Um, so adding the, their, I mean, they averaged under two goals a game for a very large part of the season. So adding a couple depth scores is definitely makes Anaheim a little more scary. They're charging hard. I think there's something stupid like 17 and four or something like there's something crazy since the second week of January. It's ridiculous how hard they're charging and how good they're playing right now. So putting a couple depth guys there um, definitely helps them. Um, what is that? I mean, we'll get into the. The Blackhawks here when David joins us in the next segment. Um, I guess the last big deal would be Michael Boddicker. I was a little bit, uh, Michael Boddicker, I was a little surprised. I, I mean, again, with prospects, you have to be careful. Um, they got a couple of prospects in Alex Tangay in terms of the salary cap maneuverability. But, I mean, uh, the prospects that they got are kind of mid-level, you know, former high dra- high, fairly highly drafted prospects who are kind of mid-level prospects, and sometimes those guys, 
you know, it clicks and they become really good players and sometimes it just doesn't happen more often than not. I thought they would have gotten more for Bonacher, to be honest with you. Um, he did have a great start to the season, and I remember talking with you about it. Um, I was really high on him, and I was hoping that he could stay in Arizona, but he made it clear, I guess, that he didn't want to be there. Um, I guess when you do that, the player has all the leverage at that point, and he hasn't—he has not scored in I think twenty-two or twenty-four games or something crazy like that. Oh. So he came out as a, as blazing hot, and I really liked him there in Arizona. But as as he has gone down, they have also gone down in the standings, unable to sustain. They—I mean, they stayed up there for quite a bit. I was really impressed with how they were playing early in the season and, and with Domi and Duclair and a couple of the other young guys they have. Boddicker was having a great start to the season, so maybe he'll get kick-started when he gets into the Avs. And, I mean, you know, you're trading a UFA who doesn't want to be there. Um, once that becomes known, you're pretty much at the mercy of, of what the other teams think the price should be. So picked up a couple prospects. Like you said, mid-level guys, they might uh, come up and do some third-line duty, right? Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Like I said, it's not like they've set the world on fire, but um, they're young, and um, you know, you, at that point, you got to move them and get the best deal that you feel you can get. So, that I, obviously, I'm sure there was interest. I know the Islanders were interested in him, but they I, they didn't have a second round pick in this year's draft. Just going to the Bruins and the Johnny Boychuk uh, to finalize the Johnny Boychuk trade. But um, um, yeah, obviously, they thought that was the best deal on the table, so they took it. Too bad he couldn't stay in Arizona, but you know what? I, I'm a firm believer that if you don't want to be here, I'll show you the door myself. So, <laughs> yeah, what I heard, and I got this from Matt Pryor, we'll have on later, is he was just—I don't think it was anti-Arizona. I think I think all the uncertainty moving forward of the teams, you know, teams staying in Arizona, where they're going to play in Arizona, and I think he he in a perfect world, and since he had the choice go someplace where we didn't have to worry about that. That is my understanding of uh, why he was uh, he, he wasn't looking to resign there. Right, right, and that's understandable too. But since we're talking Avs, I know I asked you before if you had saw the game and you didn't really get to catch any of it, but uh, I got to I gotta say watching the alumni game for the outdoor game there in Colorado between Wings Avs brought me back right to the heart of the battle there in the uh, late 90s. Um, just about everybody was back. Patrick Waugh played great. Um, Chelio slew-footed, and I, I, I forgot who he, who he caught like that, but he stood up at the blue line, gave him a solid slew-foot, spun him around, and then gave him a slash across the, across the wrist, and then, of course, skated directly over to the bench and jumped on the bench in true Chelio's fashion. So um, this is a little chippier than you would think in a – outdoor game but going back going back to those playoff battles they had i mean just stupid good hockey back then that was fantastic um it was absolutely i think they said uh what did they say 16 hall of famers and or <coughs> excuse me 12 hall of famers and 16 norris trophies and more Stanley Cups than anybody could add up were uh, on the ice there. And a lot of them could still skate and, and play a little bit. Uh, Sackett came down the left side and just wristed a, a bullet from the left circle. Um, you know, goalie never even moved. I forget who was in net. They were kind of changing, you know, changing goalies in and out period by period. But... Uh, Sackick had a couple nice plays. Um, Ricci was out there. Bork was out there. Uh, pretty cool game to watch, just as far as uh, all of the outdoor alumni games go. Um, pretty fun. So we're going to wrap this segment up, and we'll be talking Blackhawks hockey trade deadline when we come back from the break. Thanks for listening. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk-radio-format streaming station. Check it out.
All right, hockey fans, welcome back to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Uh, we're going to bring in our first guest of the show. Uh, been on the show before, talking Blackhawks hockey, David Tuz. He writes for the Hockey Writers. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at David Tuz13. That's David T E W S 13. For all the Blackhawk fans uh, that did listen to that show, we had a great response on that show, David. By the way, we appreciate you coming back and uh, helping us go through this trade deadline thing. Um, I cut, we kind of touched on it before, and uh, I'm not any kind of a guru at this or anything, but we did talk about Lad and the teams that he might end up on, and we did say that uh, what the Blackhawks want, the Blackhawks get. So just to start off the trade talk, um, where is Andrew Ladd slotting in on the lines there? And uh, I know he's, I think he's played two games now. How's he looked with the team? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on again, guys. For sure. Uh, pleasure to be back, of course. Uh, but, yeah, I was super pumped about the Ladd deal. I uh, gave up quite a bit to get him, but I think he was probably the best player traded at the deadline this year. So it was definitely a good haul. He's sliding in on the top line playing the left wing uh, next to Jonathan Taves and right now Andrew Shaw. That's what I thought. Uh, That's but, a good line. Mm. Uh, absolutely. But Marion Hose was expected to take over that top right wing spot again once he gets, uh, once he comes back from injury. So that should be a very potent line. you got Lad, Taves, and Hose up front. Pretty excited to see that come yeah, together. Absolutely. Um, and as for how he's looked in his first two games, I can't really complain too much. Uh, he's been pretty good. Uh, you know what you're going to get with Andrew Ladd, and so far in that, in that game against the Capitals, he's delivered. Uh, he had that one assist, uh, but he just he plays well all over the ice. He, he plays defense. He can scrum along the boards and get the loose pucks for Taze, and he, he's pretty good offensively too. So he's he's fitting very well so far. I guess I don't need to tell you that. Uh, adding even more leadership to that locker room in trading for a captain. Um, Oh, I guess I guess he knows how to how to. Uh, I'm sure he'll fit in in the room. I, that's absolutely not a concern with with that kind of player, and that's one of the reasons I thought that he was a fit for the Kings too. Is that he does play that 200 foot game, and he doesn't mind like you said going and getting the puck, getting in the corners, and doing what he does. And his his leadership abilities are you know captain of a team. You can't you can't do much better than that. Um, so when yeah. when uh, Hosa comes back, and that's going to slide Shaw down probably to third because I know you're not touching that second line. So is that uh, oh, no. is that where Fleischman is going to is is he going to skate on that third line and then Dale Weiss back down on the fourth line or how are the other two players you guys got working in? Yeah, it's, it's tough to say yet. I know Caravani is going to be playing somewhere on that third line. He's been extremely valuable for the Hawks so far this season. So. I don't think he was going to risk uh, taking away any of his guys' time and moving him down to the fourth line. Right, right. Uh, but another guy to keep, to keep an eye on is Andrew DeHarden. He's played very well this season, and he's played a lot of minutes on the third line. So it might be interesting if he ends up going with Teravainen, DeHarden, and Fleischman on the third line, and then loading up on the fourth line with uh, Weiss and Shaw and Rasmussen. I mean, that's, that's a lot of guys, a lot of very talented players sticking on a fourth line, especially when you have Day Harden, who's typically a fourth-line guy anyway. But I don't know too many teams that can skate with four lines like that up front. No, there's there's a really not that many. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're killing me with that, too, by the way. But uh, the, <laughs> the, the wealth of riches in Chicago continues. Um, I know Chris wanted to talk about some of the pieces and parts that – that the Blackhawks had to give up to to land the players that they did. So, Chris, why don't you jump in and, and go through what the – I talked about what they got. Let's talk about what they gave up a little bit. Yeah, real quick note, though. A couple of days before the last trade, me and Matt Pryor were talking, and we felt the Hawks were going to get Ladd, and we predicted uh, – they we said, I think they give up a fifth first with Marco Dano. So we constructed that deal. The, the GMs just stole the credit from us. But uh, <laughs> maybe you can talk a little bit about with David about uh, Dano and it. You know, and it seems like uh, Montreal got a. Even though uh, it, it makes sense to the Hall, got a really nice piece in Philip uh, Dano. So maybe you could talk about the two two kids and that they gave up in these deals. 
Yeah, definitely. So Marco Dano was one of the top players we got in the Brandon, uh, the Hawks got in the Brandon Spot deal. And he was projected to, to make the roster this season after putting up quite a few points with Columbus last year. But he just didn't really fit Quinville's system. He's, he's a very talented player, no doubt. But he has a hard time skating with guys like Taves and Kane up front sometimes. He's not as quick. Uh, so I think it was just more a long-term, a lack of long-term fit with him in terms of moving him for a lad. Um, but Philip Donnell um, is a pretty valuable player, in my opinion. He was playing third-line minutes for the Hawks pretty much the entire time that he was up from Rockford. Um, he fit in perfectly. He can play in almost any situation. I think it's pretty underrated hands for a guy that's known as more of a low-ceiling, leadership-grinding type of player. So he can play offensively, too. And his defense is his best asset. He can be a lockdown center in this league for a long time. And I think Montreal is really, they, they got a very good player in exchange for Weiss and Fleischman, two guys that they weren't going to be able to resign anyway. So good deal for Montreal. Now, now, uh, yeah, what, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, what I've read about Dano is that he, you know, everyone feels very confident that he is, uh, either going to be a terrific third line player. And it seems like his ceiling is, can he score enough to be considered a second-line player? But he'll, he'll, he'll be a very good player. It's just a question of where, where does he fall? Does he fall on the third line or does he fall on the second line? Yeah, definitely. He, he probably sits more on the third line, especially in Montreal. They do have a pretty deep set of forwards. So he can... You mean, uh, you mean Winnipeg? Um, oh, Oh, okay, Marco Dano. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I would agree with that as well. I think they're both pretty similar in that in that aspect. Um, I, I, I see Dano as more of a low end top six forward down the road, um, but it all depends on how he fits in, in the locker room, like which guys they play him with. But yeah, what is like as a deep forward core as well? It's gonna be tough for him to break, you know, the top six consistently. Now let, let me ask you this, and I don't know. I think I'm right, but wasn't Marco Dano the Blackhawks' property, and then he was moved to Columbus, and they thought highly enough of him to insist on him coming back in the Brandon Saad deal? Is that correct? No, he, he actually was a pick of the Blue Jackets. Okay. I'm pretty sure he went in the first round. Okay, yeah. was there was another piece there was, that he, that was a Blackhawks? Yeah, uh, you're right, Mo. There was another piece where the Blackhawks got back. Dano was. I want to say it was the 2013 draft. He was the 27th overall pick. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, so I guess uh, out of all the pieces moved, and we talked a little bit in the first segment, me and Chris, um, and I agree with you saying that, that Lads probably got the most left in the tank and also one of the one of the better fits that moved. Just, just to... Uh, just to get your take on what Eric Stahl is going to mean to the Rangers. Other than that, most of the most of the players that moved around at the deadline were were kind of role player types. Um, what do you think Stahl does for the Rangers? I, I think Stahl's going to be a great fit on the Rangers. Right now, they have him playing. I believe he started in the third line. Am I right? I so think so. Yeah. Game. I did yeah, get to so watch some of that, that though, for sure. Yeah. So alleviating some of the pressure on him, I think, is going to allow him to thrive a little bit more. And uh, New York has some pretty talented guys up front. I think if he matches well with Kreider, then that could be a very dangerous combination in the playoffs. Um, and he's, he's got the pedigree. You don't need a pedigree better than Eric Stahls in terms of the 100-point season and the Stanley Cup. And, you know, he's captain sure. forever. But he's, he's an impressive player. So I, th- I think those are probably the two biggest pieces to move around um what uh, long term the depth that and we know Lad's going to skate first line so I, I was kind of scared of the Taves Lav combination and especially <laughs> if you throw Jose in there why not um, that's uh, at, oh, yeah. at, at least the top six is is either as scary or scarier to come up against in the Western Conference than even even some of the Cup teams maybe. Um, where does that does that in your mind put the Blackhawks as the favorite going forward in the West? I think when you look at what they gave up, 
tie, I don't think they can be anything other than the favorite. I think the expectation now that management invested all that, all those assets to go out and improve the, improve the team so much, I think the, the locker room is pretty dead set on winning it all this year. And I, yeah, I would be shocked, actually, if they didn't make it to at least the conference finals. No, I agree. Before the deadline, I was thinking the Ducks were charging, but it was still a, you know, Kings Blackhawks conference final again. Absolutely. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and I still think that might be the conference final. Uh, we were talking a little bit. The Ducks did add a couple, a couple nice depth forwards that may address their secondary scoring issues, which they're still dealing with. But they've been on fire. I mean, there's no question about it. They've got the best record in in the conference since like the middle of January. They're ridiculous right now. But yeah. I, I still thought. It would be a Kings, a Blackhawks Western Conference Final, and still do. But I, I, I think I got to give the Blackhawks the nod um, as the favorites in that series for sure. That's uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. And well, they do match up. Corey have Crawford's a... been playing great all year. Um, we talked oh, a yeah. little bit that uh, in that kind of a matchup, you're looking at at goaltending maybe being the the deciding factor in that, but now you guys got so much deeper if, at forward that, uh, and your defense has been solid all year too. So kudos to the Hawks, man. I gotta, I gotta say, get a little bit more yeah. worried playing with those guys. Whew. <laughs> yeah. Hats off to Stan Bowman once again. Yeah, for sure. He's, he's done a phenomenal job. There's no question about it. Rebuilding, retooling, managing his cap, um, plugging players in, bringing up, you know, the scouting department there. There's you can't say a bad word about the Blackhawks organization. There's and they to me, they look in and and you could look at the East and and whatever, but the the teams that proved they could do it the last 6 years are the Kings and the Hawks and I got to give the edge back to the Hawks on this one. Kings did a little bit at the deadline, but uh I don't think they can match the Hawks. It's going to be a good series again, but you got to say Blackhawks Maybe I'm trying to think of who I like in the East. I guess I'm not ready to pick that one yet, but I guess I got to say Hawks are going to the finals. I mean, what do you think, Chris? I know you're. A uh, I know well, you like the we'll Ducks. See. Well, we'll see. You know, injuries obviously is a big factor too. That's like uh, for sure. You know, uh, you know. So um, and a lot of these games are one goal games. So and who who has the hot goalie? But. Obviously, you know, uh, the Hawks are, in my opinion, in favor in the West, but I wouldn't sleep on uh, the Ducks or the Kings, so. No, the one thing, you, yeah, it's too dangerous, you did mention injuries, and if things go the way they're going, it'll be the Kings-Ducks second round, so that'll be a brutal series, and either one of those two teams could, could drop a man or two heading, heading out to Chicago, assuming they get to the Western Conference Final, but... Uh, yeah, Ugh. powerhouse gets stronger. Um, they had a great they had a great deadline. So when we get it, when we do get into the playoffs, Dave, we're going to call you up. We'll do a little pre- playoff preview, maybe of excuse me when we get into the second round matchups and things are a little bit uh, less hectic. We'll uh, we'll we'll get back in touch with you and we'll we'll maybe preview their second round matchup with you for for a few minutes. If uh, you could come back on the show again, that'd be great, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it already. Yeah, I let the playoffs start. I'm ready. <laughs> Chris, you got anything else, man? That's it. Dave, thanks, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. All right, I'm sure you'll have an article up about the trade. Do you, do you have anything up on the Hockey Writers yet about uh, the trade deadline, or are you working on that? Uh, I wasn't one of the people covering the trade deadline, but I did make a recommendation for the Hawks to acquire Lad the morning before the trade happened. So okay. if you want to see my insights uh, behind what went down before it went down, definitely check that out. Okay, cool. And that you can find you can find his links to his content at David Two's Thirteen. That's T E W S David Two's Thirteen on Twitter. And you can also look him up on the hockey writer. So thanks for coming on, man. We gotta get off to our next segment, so we'll talk to you soon. Alright, have a good night guys. Thanks man. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us. 
the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out. All right, we're back. Joining us now, uh, third or fourth time he's been, good friend of the show, uh, Matt Pryor covers the Panthers and the Dallas Stars for the Hockey Writers, and you can always find his content at BigTex26 on Twitter. Uh, before we get started, we were just wondering, what's the 1926 for? <laughs> that is for the year the New York Rangers entered the NHL. Okay. Uh, uh, yes, because I'm, I'm writing a biography of Tex Rickard, the founder of the Rangers. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. And is that is that also anyway, the Big Tex reference then too? Uh, it, big Tex is kind of a dual meaning. Uh, it does reference Tex Rickard, but also uh, here in Dallas at the State Fair of Texas, there's this giant cowboy who who talks to visitors, and his name is Big Tex. Okay, so, so you got a dual meaning on the Big Tex, and the uh, 1926 is the the birth of the Rangers. That's cool. I like that. Uh, depends on your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's get right into it. The uh, Panthers, one of the busiest teams at the deadline, acquiring three players. Um, I'm gonna say Jakob Kendall first because that's the guy I keep forgetting when we're doing our show prep. But also bringing uh, Teddy Purcell down back to Florida, and yeah. now, now the other ones. I just. Yuri uh, Hudler. Hudler. Thank you, Chris. So, uh, just just right off the bat, um, I'm sure you've seen, I'm sure you've seen where they where they've slotted in uh, on with the current lines, and and what do you think that f- that fit means to the Panthers going forward? Well, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I watched the game last night, and uh, they they had Hudler on the first line with. Barkov and Yager because Huberto is is still out. So when Huberto comes back, he's he's going to my guess is drop down to the third line, uh, which is currently Kyle Rao, Nick Bugstad, and Teddy Purcell. And uh, Rao will go back down to Portland. Uh, but last night, uh, I thought. Uh, both new guys looked good. Uh, Purcell had, uh, he was working the point on the power play. Uh, they had him out there with Brian Campbell on the, the point, and Purcell had an assist on the power play, so can't complain there. Uh, Hoodler played just under 14 minutes, uh, which at first I thought was a little bit interesting, but, but then I saw Yager played just over 14 minutes. So, they, basically, he was out there whenever Yager was. And uh, I, I think they're both going to be good fits for the team. Uh, one of the issues, probably the biggest issue Florida has had, uh, has been puck possession. And I think both Hoodler and Purcell are going to help with that. Purcell, in particular, his... his uh, even strength Corsi four percentage with Edmonton was fifty two point two four, which would have put him uh, had he been with Florida the whole time. Uh, it would have put him at the top of the list uh, in, because only two of Florida's forwards, uh, Jokinen and Riley Smith, uh, have a Corsi even strength Corsi above fifty right now. So uh, it, I think it makes them a better team. These acquisitions make Florida a better team, uh, and I think they are they are ready to make some noise. Not just make the playoffs, with, which they they're in already, but uh, as as uh, Matt Larkin of the Hockey News wrote the other day, it's not a great stretch the imagination to see them in the Eastern Conference final. I and I kind of agree with I that. Have to if, agree. if uh depends on how they match up in the 
I mean, there's a lot to be decided still in the East. I think there's still seven or eight teams within five or six points of each other, I think, as you get down through it. So, I mean, there's still a lot to be decided, and, and matchups are, I think, maybe more important to the Panthers than some of the other teams just being the experience factor of of not being in the playoffs. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think for them to get through the first round, I think they need to have a pretty solid, you know, a, a really favorable matchup for them. But I think after after they get through the the jitters or whatever you want to call it, um, learning learning playoff hockey a little bit, then I could I could definitely see Luongo and 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 the boys going deep into the playoffs. We you know we talked last time and I asked you to give me a prediction on where they were headed and uh, you said you thought that they would win a round and be very competitive in the second round and these trades. See, it sounds to me like th- these trades put you right, in your mind right right out of the second round. Yes, uh, I would say without question because these veteran acquisitions uh, of of Hula and Purcell, this is this is such a huge upgrade over a couple years ago when you had uh, you know Scotty Upshaw and Brad Boys. Uh, I think it's. They were great moves, and and all the Panthers gave up was draft picks, and not didn't even have to give up a first round pick. Uh, so, no, that's uh, nice I for think, sure. And and especially if I mean you look at the standings right now, if the playoffs began today, Florida would play Detroit in the first round. And I, I watched the Red Wings against the Stars the other night, and yes, the Red Wings won, but. As I was watching them, I was thinking, you know, these are not the invincible Red Wings of the 90s and the early aughts. No, no. These guys are beatable. And and I think Florida would beat them in a seven-game series. That was without Dylan Larkin, though, right? Oh, no, even with Larkin. He was, uh, I mean, he didn't play in that game, though, right? Uh, no, he did. Did he? He did play against, against Dallas. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was still out. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, that was it was his first game back. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. <sighs> so, Matt, you're saying you have you have the Panthers and the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals? That's your prediction. <laughs> that's that's half my prediction. <laughs> well, it's better than being half right is half wrong, right? Is that what they say? Uh, gosh, something like that. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, well, let's. Uh, we got a few minutes left. Let's. Uh, I guess the general consensus on the Chris Russell deal is that the Dallas way overpaid for a, a a really depth defenseman who's who's. I mean, he's a stay-at-home guy. He's not gonna. He's he's not the best skater. He, he's. I don't know where he's sliding. Is he third pair, or second pair? Uh, they used him on the third pair last night. Is that a lot to give up for a third pair guy? Oh, that you know, with a UFA at the you, end of the at the end of the year. The short answer is yes. That is, that is a lot to give up, and and you look at comments online from Flames fans, and they're ecstatic about sure. the deal, uh, which which is a surefire sign that. The stars overpaid, but I, I'm inclined to give Jim Neal the benefit of the doubt after all of the deals he's pulled off the last few years. Uh, what will be interesting going forward is exactly how Russell is used. I mean, last night he played uh, just over 18 minutes, including almost three minutes on the penalty kill. Right. Um, and uh, they, they definitely need someone who can block shots. Uh, the and and you know Russell's your man for that uh, definitely. What's what's curious to me is that uh, Lindy Ruff was talking before the game last night about perhaps going with a five man rotation on defense. Hmm. I mean they they dressed six, they played six, but but later on in the game he did that. He sat Jordy Ben 
and and just rotated. So Russell played with with uh, Klingberg and Demers, and uh, I gosh, I I just don't see that working long term. Um, you know the playoffs. Yes, definitely. But you know the stars have issues right now. Defense is part of it. Goaltending is part of it, and also the puck luck that they had the first twenty games of the season is just gone. Uh, Are you so, worried about the stars right now, Matt? I I am a little bit worried. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously they're going to make the playoffs. Um, it's it's conceivable if they don't snap out of it soon that they could slide down into a wild card slot. But uh, they will make the playoffs. I think the the concern right now is will they make it out of the first round? And uh, frankly, the way they're playing right now, I would say no. Uh, whether their first round opponent is Chicago, St. Louis, L.A., uh, I I don't think they would get past any of those teams. Especially after at what, this point what Chicago did. It. I mean, we just had. Uh... David Tews from the Hockey Writers on talking about the embarrassment of riches that uh, that Chicago came away with this weekend, and uh, that's that's going to be a tough team to play. <laughs> hard to yeah. beat, hard to beat that team four times in a week. I'll, I'll say that right now. Oh yeah. I mean, Chris Chris had barring injuries and and so on and so forth. But if everything remains status status quo, that's uh, that's going to be a hard team to beat for anybody. That's true. So uh, we got a couple minutes left. Um, do you have your your? I gotta, go ahead. Go I ahead, got a quick. I got a quick question. Go ahead, uh, Matt. Were you surprised that there weren't more in, impactful trades uh, leading into the deadline? You know, I was surprised. In particular, I was surprised that Scotty Hartnell didn't get moved. I, I really thought that. That guy, I mean, yeah, I know there's concern about the length of his contract, but but he's a 20-goal scorer, 20-plus, year in, year out. Uh, and uh, so, and with a good cap hit, too, 4.75 mil. So the fact that he didn't get moved was surprising. Uh, Edmonton didn't move Everly or Nugent Hopkins. Um, but, you know, you and I have discussed that. Offline, I, I think maybe Edmonton's waiting for the draft to see where they end up. But we all know it's going to be the first overall pick because of that's course. the rule. That, that's what happens. <laughs> the sun rises, the sun sets, and Edmonton picks first overall. So we we know yeah. where that's headed. And then you know, taxes and Edmonton picks number one. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, the other player that didn't move, and I think Dallas was in on. And I think overpaying for Russell had a little bit to do with the fact they didn't land Dan Hamhuis out of Vancouver. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, you know, that's kind of curious because I heard that they made the same offer. They had the same offer on the table uh, to both Calgary and Vancouver. And, and I guess Calgary flinched first, or maybe I should say pounced First, why would you not take that offer for a pending UFA defenseman? Uh, and then Dallas circled back to Vancouver with a lesser offer after the Russell deal went down, and Vancouver shot that down. I feel like they uh, kind of. Uh, I think Vancouver missed the boat on that. I think if that deal was on the table for the Canucks, I don't know why they wouldn't take that. Yeah, I mean you. I, an NHL defenseman, uh, a top prospect, and and center Brett Pollock, he was the star's second round pick in 2014. Still plenty of. And then, oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, then the second round pick this summer, what conditional? You know, if if Russell plays, uh, I should say, if the Stars make it to the conference final and Russell plays at least 50 percent of the games in the first two rounds, then it becomes a first round. Pick. Right, right. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know why Vancouver wouldn't take that. Well, Matt, we got to go. I'm hitting up against the clock here. Thanks again for coming on, buddy. Um, if we do a first round, a first round preview show, and the stars are involved, uh, we'll definitely call you back and get you back online again. Thanks for coming on. All right, thanks a lot for having me, guys. All right, we'll talk soon, man. All right, bye bye. And we're gone to break. Hello, hockey fans, and thanks for listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check out all our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and HockeyTalkRadio.us, the Internet's first 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, all-hockey-talk radio format streaming station. Check it out. All right, hockey fans, we're back on the Vegas Hockey Podcast for segment number four of our trade deadline recap show, and we're bringing in we're bringing in riders of the teams that were pretty much the busiest or got the most out of the deadline. So we already talked with with David for the Blackhawks, and we talked with Matt about the uh, Panthers, and then a little bit about the Stars and their drastic overpayment for Chris Russell, but. Um, so now, if, if we if we include the Luke Shin Vinny Lecavier trade, I think the Kings added the most pieces um, here in the last month or so. So we're bringing back J.D. Styles, uh, Cali Sports News contributor for the Los Angeles Kings. Jeff, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, Mark? Chris, thank you for having me back. Of course, of course. Um, one thing, one thing, and I'll get started. Let's go back a little bit to the Shin Lecavier deal. Um, I am more than pleasantly surprised on how much LeCavier has left in the tank. He might have lost a step, but his stick handling, puck control, and passing are vintage LeCavier in the 20 or so games he's played with the Kings. Um... Am I missing that, or am I, I? I think I'm on point with that, JD. What do you think? I think he's the better piece of the deal. That's for sure. Um, when that deal first happened uh, with Lecavier and Luke Shen coming down to Los Angeles, I thought the key piece of that trade was actually Luke Shen. I thought Lecavier was actually just a bonus that was added. Ah, why not let him come to LA? You know, come to California, fun in the sun. You know, to end his career. Because if you listen to anybody in Philadelphia. The guy's a bum. I mean, he should have yeah. retired years ago. Sure. Done. He's burnt out. He's finished. That's what I bought. Yeah, him too. Right? Head coach Daryl Sutter, when he talks about the Cavalier in interviews, he always mentions that, in his opinion, the guy's a Hall of Famer. And Daryl Sutter is not the type of guy to add praise to people like that. No. So that is a huge compliment to Vincent Cavalier, and we're seeing that with his play in Los Angeles. You're right. He has lost his step. He's obviously older. The last few years has not been kind. It just did not work out in Philadelphia. He was brought out by his main team, Tampa Bay. But in Los Angeles, he gives the team with a shot at the cup. Probably his final shot. He's not the main guy. He can play the third line. He can play the fourth line. He just wants to play. And it gave him a renewed passion. And he showed up when he plays. He still has the skills, the front handling skills. He still has the instinct. And he also has leadership, valley cup experience, but it just turned out to be a perfect fit for the start of his career. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And you know, Luke, Luke Shin, um, in the role that they're asking him to play, is doing just fine. I'm not knocking what Luke Shin's doing on the third pair there. I think, I think he's laying some lumber. He's helping kill some penalties. Um, he's staying, you know, the, the saying, stay in your lane. Don't get out of your lane. Just do what you do. I think that applies to Luke Shin and what they're asking him to do. So I, I, I think that that trade is a, is a win for Lombardi for sure. Um, and and I, every time I watch Lecavier, he he does he does these little little veteran tricks with the puck that yeah. I'll say he probably has the best puck handling stick skills of anybody on the roster. Um, right now, and I I drank the Kool Aid from Philly that he was done, but uh, just watch just watching the way he he handles the puck and and moves it to his teammates, and he he probably has the best backhand 
uh, puck control, passing and shooting on the Kings now as well, I, w- I-, I would say. Fantastic backhand. Uh, but as well, there's a fantastic attitude. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that's rubbing off with his teammate and helping uh, rejuvenate himself. He also, he's, he's not afraid to play the Dale Sutter defensive self system, fight back, fight back. He will also back check. And, you know, people make mistakes. You know, sometimes you might lose a guy, but who hasn't? You know, everybody does that. But overall, this is an improved, Vincent LeCavalier, ready to try and get down the cup again with the LA Kings. It just is the perfect fit. And as far as, like, puck, you know, puck handling skills, man, like, I still remember him in his prime playing for Tampa Bay with St. Louis and Brad Richards. Oh, and for sure. Man, he was like so, like so speed back then. Doesn't have the speed anymore. But now he's got the experience and he's got the, he still has the hockey IQ. And you can see it. And that's why Dale Sutter trusts him on the quote-unquote third line. If needed, the, the quote-unquote second line. Um, the Cavalier, I mean, he's sort of playing he wants to win. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's fast forward a little bit. The uh, the swap, and it kind of shocked me that the Blackhawks and Kings would actually trade <coughs> as, yes. as partners. Um, knowing the Kings were in the market for a stay-at-home defenseman to uh, you know bring in Scuderi, that was a great great scene when he came back. By the way, um, and then to give Chicago the the puck mover. And and get the puck up style defenseman. It, it seemed first. It struck me as odd that those two would be trading partners to begin with. But yeah. I'm just kind of hoping out of Scuderi, if there's ten to twelve minutes and a couple minutes on the penalty kill left, um, Erhoff never fit the Kings system, and he may in fact fit better in Chicago than Scuderi did because of the systems the two teams play. Um, what what do you think of that trade? Well, the trade caught me off guard, too. Um, uh, Rob Scuderi, I love Scuds. He's a Scudinator. You know, Scudinator, too, Judgment Day, that's him. Yeah. And, you know, all, the whole kingdom, of course, is grateful for when he last played with the Kings and taking one for the team in the face in the Stanley Cup final game six when he got boarded. Uh, but, you know, he's obviously lost uh, quite a few steps since then. Uh, didn't do very well with Pittsburgh, of course, to play a way different style than, you know, what the Kings do. Couldn't cut it with Chicago. He got sent down to the American Hockey League. It looked like the end. And when you're the type of player like Ross today, that, that stay-at-home defensive defenseman, you know, physical style, as you get older, and I believe he's now 38, you do tend to break the home. I mean, you just can't maintain that physical style. And it really looks like uh, Ross today was done. But, so it really caught me off guard when they did this trade. Now, on the other hand, as you were saying, Christian Erhoff did not fit right with the LA team. He could not get comfortable or adjust to the system, to his teammates. Um, from, from certain sources that I rely and I trust and tell me that he was really good fit in the locker room. Uh, he wasn't really giving it his 100% to adapt to the system. Um, so even when he got sent down to the Ontario rain, uh, he wasn't even good fit with the rain or the coach might struggle. So it was just a wrong fit. It was like, you know, put um, a circle in a square peg. It just did not work out. But I never, ever would have guessed uh, Chicago and LA doing business together. Yeah, and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall or in on that phone conversation or whatever it was. So, like, how did they start the conversation? Hey, you know, Sam, you know. Who? I want to know who called who. Yeah, I know who called who. I mean, that's like, who, who jumped first and made the call? And it's like, you know, you know. Uh, Stan, Dean Lombardi here. Um, you know, I know we have great possibility we can face each other in the conference final again, and it'll be a stressful war as always. But hey, you want to do business? Yeah. Let's help each other out. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, I will I will say that I, I, I saw the first game that, that uh, Scuderi played, and he he didn't look bad. He looked, uh, you know, he looked like he always did, really. He didn't lose anybody coming coming down. Um, he had a couple no, nice he, plays, pulling the puck out of the corner and getting it behind the net to the other defenseman. Um, I thought he looked yep. okay. No, no, he looks fine. Uh, for this to work, of course, it's like you were saying, he's going to have to play low minutes. He's going to have to be a part of the third pairing. Um, which uh, kind of makes me scratch my head today because during caucus with the Kings at the Tyler Sports Center, Spadarian was partnered with Drew Doughty. 
Interesting. Um, Bellamy, of course, you know, averages about 30 minutes a game. This is a North Sporting candidate. Sure. Uh, and just selected for Team Canada this year. Spinelli can't play even 20 minutes, let alone, you know, anything more than that. I don't even know if he can play 15. But if they can keep it down to the 12, 15 minute mark, he's somebody that Daryl Sutter can trust, that the teammates right. can trust, and they know what to expect from him, and he knows what to expect from the team. He knows the system, and he's very comfortable in LA. And he also is a great presence in the locker room and provides that old school leadership. And I'm talking old school as if now the 2012 Senate Championship is now old school. Right. And it's just something we now with Justin Williams and Mike Richards in Washington, Louis Mitchell over in Florida, Matt Green injured, et cetera, Jared Stowe's gone. They still need that leadership and he's a positive influence. They all like him. They all trust him. If they keep the minutes down, this couldn't work. Right, right. Now, you did mention practice today. I was wondering... The I guess the big ad for the Kings now is is Christopher Stieg, and do, where who is he skating with, and where do you see him fitting in? We've got about four minutes left, so uh, have at it. Okay, so right now he Bill uh, Sutter has put him on a line with Jeff Carter and the Red Hot Tanner Pearson. So the quote unquote second line. That's what they're testing him out with right now. Okay, so Toffoli's up with Kopitar. Yeah, Tafoli, Kopitar, and Lucic are the top line. So Dustin Brown is now back on the left, on the third line, with Le Cavalier and Trevor Lewis. Now, they've skated together a little bit, though, that, that line right there, and I kind of liked it. That was uh, not not a bad line. Yeah, but, you know, and then the way Daryl sort of plays things, you know, he looks to put the lines through at Wendler. So, and tomorrow's sure. game day, they're in Montreal at the Staples Center. Uh, when they have morning practice tomorrow, the lines can be changed again. Um, <laughs> so, what if it's day and not a game day? If Bill Sutter likes to experiment, I'll do experiment during the game, so we all know how he is. Um, so, but I expect Bruce to be going up and down uh, the roster until they find a fit. But right now, you know what? He's just added depth while well, Marion Gabbard is out injured. Hopefully, he can just add a few goals here and there so the Kings don't fully lose his depth. Now let me uh, let me bring Chris in. He's kind of been out of, out of it for the whole segment. I know he had a couple things he wanted to go through. Chris, jump on in. Yeah, I just got one question. Uh, JB, were you surprised? And I think Chris Steve was a good ad, a good support player. But were you surprised with the Kings, especially how they've had an all-in mentality for the season, didn't make a bigger move on deadline day? Um. You know what, to be honest, I am not personally surprised. I've been saying it for some time now, whether for Cali Sports News or on Twitter, that I didn't expect them to make a bigger splash than they did uh, when they traded for Le Cavalier and Le Chen. Um, there was always, you know, they wanted them to add another defenseman. They ended up with Rob Spaghetti, but I know they tried to make a push for Andrew Ladd, but it seems like uh, the plan was for him to go to Chicago for a while now, so that was out of the picture. And then, um, I guess, uh, Lombardi was looking to make a splash with Edmonton. I'm happy that didn't work out, because I uh, wasn't liking that for too much. But besides that, I don't think he was able to, to really make this, like, who was out there really to move? You know? Besides Andrew Ladd, Eric Stahl, possibly, I don't even know if they have pops, but... Um, so he ended up with Chris Bushkick, and you know what? I thought this did very well. I thought the Kings and Lombardi uh, did add some solid moves. Of course, they didn't make the splash that the Chicago Blackhawks did. Nor did the teams make the splash that we did in 2014 with Gavrick or Jeff Carter in 2012. But I do like the moves. It does strengthen the team. Uh, it does make them more solid. And then hopefully with the return of Marion Gavrick at the playoffs, the teams can actually um, solidify the lines and then make a strong push for the Stanley Cup. But of course, that won't be easy uh, because Chicago is all in to win. As is Washington, as is Anaheim, and as is the teams. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. But I'm not that yeah, the Western Conference is going to be just brutal. Um, it's going to be insane and extremely stressful. Prepare, listeners. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so let me let me put you on the spot. We got about a minute and a half to go. Did they do enough to get past uh, Chicago? Because I just said a couple couple minutes back with with David, I think that what they did um, kind of got to make them the favorites in the Western Conference. I will say one thing: if you combine the three players in Lad. Fleischman and Weiss of their playoff scoring in 120 something games, they have scored almost as much as Christopher Stieg has in 70 something playoff games. So, yeah, 
Um, if if there's one thing we can hang our hats on, it's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the Kings do enough. I don't think anybody did enough. I think Chicago did enough. Chicago's going to be the team to beat. Okay, well, we're running up against the break, J.D. When we get here towards the playoffs, uh, we're going to do some some previews of the first, second round matchups, and we'll, we'll get back in touch with you, uh, have you on and do some preview work with us. We appreciate your input, as always. Um, you guys you guys can find JD at JD underscore Styles on Twitter, and he links all his content to Cali Sports News, where he's the Kings contributor there. JD, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. All right. And, Chris, we're right 10 seconds up. Thanks again. We're going to put it in the can. And we're, we're gone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.